Part Eleven of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Eight, White Rose and Red. Now the third day of the feast had come when the guests bethought them of going their ways homewards. Thorstein went out with Astis to catch her nag for her and to set her on the way with Asmund and his men. But when they got up to the fell pasture where the horses were, thralls were cutting wood from the stubs in the coppice hard by, and just as Thorstein was laying hold of the nag, what should he see but a poor, thin, gaunt figure in rags among the woodcutters, carrying a huge load of sticks, and the red hair hanging down unkempt over her face. One of the men, in rough horseplay, as rude rascals do with a strange new fellow-servant, put out his foot and let her trip over it, and tumble with the load and all. Then another went up to her, and cursed her for a fool, and gave her a kick. Thorstein flew at them, and it was right for one and left for t'other, and down they went, heels over head, one with a broken jaw, and one with bloody nose. Thorstein picked up the lass, and would have kissed her, but she fought herself loose and struggled away. Raniach, he cried, Raniach. She turned and looked at him in his finery. Then she looked at Astis, who had come up, staring. Then she looked down at her tatters, and black bare feet and fingers. Astis put her hand on Thorstein's shoulder. Eh, what breaks? she giggled and then burst into shrieks of laughter. Thorstein shook off her hand, and darted after the ragged lass who fled through the wood. "'Oh, Raniach!' he cried after her in her own language. "'Raniach, my darling, forgive me, forgive me. Listen to me. Only hear me. Stay, Raniach, only stay and hear me.' Poor little thing, she was too weak and ill to run far and stopped at bay under a ridge of rock in the wood. But still she kept him off with her hands, while she wept and laughed and wept again. Thorstein grovelled on the moss before her, and poured out his heart full of passionate words, blaming himself for knave and fool, and excusing himself by telling her what had passed, and how his mother had promised to have her well bestowed in a thrall's cot, out of the way of the store of the guests and how he could not come nigher till they were gone. And over and over again he said it, till he had no more to say. At last he lay quite still, sobbing bitterly. "'What's all this?' shouted a rough voice through the wood. It was Orm. "'Look here, young fellow, don't go knocking my thralls about. I'll thank you to learn manners if you mean to stay. And who is this ugly goblin I'd like to know?' Thorstein was on his feet in a moment, and Raniach in his arms as if they had never parted. She's my sister, kinsman, the child of my foster-father, and I give thee to know that there's not a lass in the land to match her. One would think the giants had fostered thee, barn, said Orm, using the old byword, and laughing scornfully. Then beware of the giant's fosterling. Well, come and show thy mother what a prize thou hast got. Aye, that I will, and all the world, answered Thorstein, as she nestled to him and clung to him, sobbing no more, but tall and straight and proud in her rags and dirt. And then he led her to Greenod House, whence all the guests had gone away, 
and speaking in her tongue, told his mother who she was. And his mother answered him, and spoke to her words that she could hear, and that made her weep for gladness. And when she was washed and fed and dressed in clothes from Thorstein's own store, simple things that Astis had not cared to take, she sat by the fire, while Thorstein told them, far into the night, the story of his wanderings and of her kindness to him. As the story went on, Unna drew nearer to her the child, that wondered and understood naught of the tale but what she guessed from their glances, until her head was on the good mother's lap, and from her eyes half shut, the tears crept out, and through the great red mane upon the kind hands that petted her. When Thorstein had done, Hundy kissed him, and Orm came over out of the high seat he was proud to keep, and held out his hand. Kinsman, he said, let bygones be bygones. Why, said Thorstein, holding his brother's hand, what is there to forgive? But Unna said, in the soft airs tongue, that came back to her like a dream of childhood, many a time have I prayed whiles to the All-Father, and whiles to the white Christ for a little lass, though I dared tell no soul else of the folly. And he has heard me, whoever it is hears poor folk's prayers. He has taken my man to himself, and he has sent me this bonny maid. Chapter 29 Raniach at Greenod It was not all plain sailing, though the start was fair. They tell how, once upon a time, a lad brought home a wild kitling from the woods, and nursed it up among the house-cats by the hearth. So it was at Greenod with Raniach. With the best will in the world, she found it hard to learn their ways, and quite beyond her to follow them. At first there was the labour of a new speech to get. Thorstein had picked up her talk with ease, but she could never frame her lips to the strange sounds, nor force her thoughts into the words of the North folk. She would be eager to chatter and brimful of news or wonderment, or recollection or explanation, helping herself out with gestures and the forcefulness of her native manner, unlike the slow steadiness of the northern delivery, and strange to them and disquieting. And in the midst of it all, a word wrongly spoken and drolly misinterpreting her meaning would set them all roaring with laughter, at which she would be vexed and sulk for her people were grave and staid, though forceful and rapid in speech and gesture, while the Northmen, slow of speech and drawling, were ready with rough jokes and childish fooling. So she took their laughter in bad part, and they took her glumping for the sign of a bad heart, and Thorstein had work enough to come between them all. And then she could never learn the deft neatness of their household ways, their cleanliness in kitchen and dairy, and tidiness of table and chamber, and handy management of needle and shuttle and rock. If there were doubt in their counsels, mishap with beasts or men, or any grave trouble befalling, who but Raniach was run to for help? For she kept her head while the other women folk were shrieking and scurrying, and she was dry-eyed while they were weeping, or sober while they giggled like fools. But even for that they thought worse of her, as one who had not the feelings of other folk, and never laughed nor greeted when she ought, nor was shocked like a decent lass, nor disgusted like a dainty one. And that bush of red hair was never dressed for long, 
and her kirtle was torn and cobbled up coarsely and her kerchief awry and her work fouled with losing and leaving in corners and crumpling in hasty forgetfulness and if sometimes she was the pride of them all for her tall slim strength and her bright bonny face with the proud high-set cheek and brent brow and with the earnest friendliness that shone in her eyes at other whiles she was dismal and the light faded out of her and she was no better than a draggle-tailed slut they said and then nothing healed her but a run with thorstein on the fell and unmaidenly scraffling among the beasts or rough pulling and hauling at the boat-sheds with hundy and the shipwrights unna would often say over to herself how much she owed the lass for thorstein's sake and how much she might do for the lass to bring her into shape and so schooled herself to be good to her but it was not always easy to keep back a sharp word and a sharp word spoiled everything thorstein too was a puzzle to them every indoor business he shirked and cared only for herding and boating and the rough work of the farm he had been so long on the fells that quiet life came amiss to him and often by the fireside at nights as that winter wore he would fidget and worry until he found a call for turning out so that even the shepherds bade him leave them in peace to look after their own job then he took to hunting and they owned he was a famous hunter he would fish in the firth day and night and all weathers as if he had a bear's warmth in him they were glad of the fish he brought home but it was irksome to have him bring in his dripping self along with it to reek and simmer by the hearth when all was red up and snug for the evening folk must do as folk do said they behind his back but when they said it to his face he looked ugly and unna dreaded a fight with orm one of those days so the knights wore on to yule and then came a messenger from over the fell to bid the greenod folk to asmunderlee for the feast-tide and over and above that said he my mistress astis bade thee in especial thorstein swainson and charged thee to bring the young may for she would fain know her and make a sister of her when raniach understood that this was the lass that had laughed at her on that dreadful day which nobody ever named she said flatly that she would not go but unna begged hard and told her that the lass was good at heart and meant all kindly and that it would be a feather in her cap to win such a friend so raniach dared say no more though she loathed the journey but thorstein found her some right bonny fairings and tricked her out as never was and raniach was child enough to be proud of her attire and said in her heart she would be a match for them all and they took her on a nag like any lady and rode over the fell and were received heartily and all went well at first astis was a handsome lass in her way less tall and strong than raniach but far more snod and neat and womanlike raniach at her best was a wildwood goddess and at her worst she was a grey-faced tattling again but asdis was always the same blithe and bonny well set up and well seen to so that one would have thought there need be no strife between them but the very next day asdis was at her tricks and every one but thorstein aided and abetted her in showing off poor raniach in the little things that bit and stung like midges on a wet midsummer eve 
she would flatter till raniach was led into simpering and then they chuckled she would ask her advice about tapestry stitches and raniach seeing no malice would give grave counsels that a body might see were naught she would mock her gait and manner of eating and entice her to say the word she always said wrong and folk would laugh and even thorstein laughed as one who couldn't help it then Astis cast a sheep's eye at him and as it were claimed him for her friend and ally and raniach was furious and paled and blushed and wept and sulked Astis did it all so cleverly and was so pretty and innocent over it that even thorstein would take her part and bid raniach not to be a fool she promised to amend and was bitterly ashamed and tried again and so it went on until they were all glad to part and get home again and master asmund at the farewell clapped thorstein on the back and said well lad we'll not forget and we look to see thee when thou art tired of greenod and all thy folk and so the lad was set up with himself and vexed with raniach thinking that she had spoiled their sport and was after all no better than a pettish child one day when yule was well over his mother called him aside and lad she said i doubt i am wearying of these doings it's not that i don't love the lass from my heart and there's nothing i would not do for her but it's dree work putting up with her whimsies and setting things to right after her never a stitch she sets but i have to unpick it never a pat of butter she turns but i have to wash it what and she was stirring the cream this very day with a horn spoon when the rowan thivel was there at hand and she slaps the servant lasses if they so much as smile and she has words with the men ay even with orm himself why he said to me this very day mother said he tell that young spitfire that i'll have no more of her sauce let her know who is master here said he well mother said thorstein raniach is a good lass and means well nay never doubt it said his mother but she does ill and sets us all by the ears it's grieved i am to say it but i would be thankful if one she would hearken to gave her a word and got her to amend you are hard on her mother you all said you'd take her for one of us and make her at home and it's nothing but tease and worry till the poor child never knows whether she's on her head or her heels nay thorstein that's not a fair word to the mother that bore thee who brought her here who fetched the wildcat into the house then he was angry and she was angry and they had high words and parted with little peace between them he went out to look for raniach and lass he said what hast thou done to set them all against thee ay said she peace for shame thorstein nay he answered moodily it's truth here's mother can stand it no more and orm fit to turn us out of the house well then i'll go for one thou can stay if thou wilt raniach he said hear reason little reason in you folk she answered and thou thorstein once i thought but she burst into weeping and fled away thorstein turned in again angry with her and more angry with his folk and angry most of all with himself as he sat and thought it out it seemed to him that this would blow over like other storms 
and that Raniach would surely come back to supper. But supper time came, and no Raniach. What's to do with the lass? said Unna. Well, hungry folk can't wait, and I'll keep a bite against she comes. Nay, said Orm, sulky dogs go supperless. But Thorstein was uneasy, for he had never before parted from her in anger. He left his porridge in the bowl and went out. It was starlight and snowy, and he called her name, but the sound died away over the dim white fields, and he went forward calling for her, and into the fields and up to the ford. He searched high and low, far into the night, and knocked at the thrall's cots to ask for her. At last one said, coming sleepily to the door, that he had seen her in the gloaming, making her way to the fell through the bare woods. He knew it was the wild May, by the glint of red in the boughs on the snow. Then Thorstein was terribly flayed, and ran to seek the place where she had been seen. He found her track in the snow and followed it up, leaping with all his might, breathless, and stopping only now and again to call and to listen for an answer. The late moon rose, and her traces were still there, the little holes where her feet had gone, and the blur where she had stumbled or rested. It was long before he found her, plodding ahead up the fell, far beyond their bounds. "'Let me go,' she cried, "'to my own people. Let be, and forget Raniach.' "'To thy people,' he said, "'then I follow,' and he tramped onwards by her side. After a while, she said, "'They will kill thee. Go back.' "'What do I care?' said he, and they went on. Again she said, Thorstein, thou art a fool. No news, said he. Then it began to dawn, and they were far on the moor, and the mountains stood tall on the rosy sky. She sat down in the snow, and he sat beside her. Suddenly she put her hands before her face, and burst out into wild laughing. Fools are we both, she said. Look at yon sky, and our own fells, white and still and we with storm and blackness in our hearts. Oh, Thorstein, wouldst thou truly go with me? To the end of the world, said he. And beyond? He took her in his arms, and the sunrise brightened upon them. Long they sat together in the glow, and forgot the night, and the blackness in their hearts, and all the evil of bygone days. They seemed to have grown old now, and wise, what silly children they had been once. It was late in the afternoon when they came into Greenodd Hall, where all went on as ever, but the two were changed, and saw the spot as in a dream. Mother, said he, I have brought her back. Let us rest here a while, and give us thy blessing. We'll trouble the house no more. Give us time, and we'll away to a spot of our own. Children, said Unna, what game is this? I'm a man now, mother, said he. I can fend for myself with her to help me. Never say nay. We have it all planned, and ask nothing but good will. Good will, my son, you have. Aye, the best. But, Barn, hear reason. You are young yet, and little you know of life. Bide a while. Take your time. Who but guessed what it was coming to? But, Thorstein, lad, if thou love the lass, be guided. There's house to build, lad, and gear to get. Will you live in the wood, 
and eat mast like swine with a starving brood of piglings running naked in the mire a man lad takes a man's reed and a woman lass must grow womanly it is all done in a night chapter thirty thorstein goes abroad young they were but no fools they kept their promise raniac was a new creature anxious to please and amenable to guidance willing to learn all that thorstein's wife should know he on his part acknowledged that there was a deal to do before he could set up house and when hundy sometimes joked him about his castle that was to have been on the shore of his mere he would take it quite soberly and reply ay lad i was a bit beforehand but wait until i've got my gear together and then better come for a trip with me this season and see what skill we make at cheaping with thy goods on my ship thou and i might do a conny bit of trade and see the world maybe we'd light on look and come back able men now it was a saying among these people homely wit has home-bred barn and no lad was thought much of until he had been a while abroad there was none but raniach that had a word against it and she was overborne the easier because she had made up her mind to be good and think of her own wishes last so thorstein busied himself in cleaning all the skins he had got that winter and added a good few to his stock and he packed up everything he could lay hands on if only it would turn him a penny or barter off against goods that would be useful to him in his housekeeping and at last they bade farewell to all and taking the ship carls who had been used to voyage with swain they started merrily on a fine spring day down the leven and stood over the sea for ireland at that time there was an unwanted peace through the coasts of england and all round about these were the last few years of king athelstan's life when he had brought his neighbours under him or won their good will he reigned in great glory and honour and his realm prospered his strong hand or the fear of it kept all the lesser kings and earls of the north in quiet folk were glad of a breathing space after an age of struggles and the great fight at brunnenburg and even across the sea there was a lull so to say in the turmoil of the nations the age of the vikings was over and it was now the turn of cooler heads and wiser councils to set to rights the new order of things and to establish the kingdoms and governments which had arisen out of the disorder and wreck of the old world by these days the northmen had left being naught but rovers and robbers they had become settlers and traders and rulers of realms on the seaboard of all the northern lands and not only in the north for scarce a spot was there between greenland and constantinople where they or their children were not found like bees in a garden at once gathering honey for themselves and sowing for others the seeds of new life and strength the busiest and brightest of all the kindreds of the age but the northern lands were their homes on salt shores where farming alone could never thrive on bleak headlands among the sea-mews nests on lone islands veiled in the mist or girdled with the surf homes where any but a race of sailors would have hungered slowly to death or pined into dismal savagery there they bred and multiplied and sang through the winter and strove through the summer their wit and wisdom and valour putting to shame though little they knew it 
the follies and vices and the idleness of the south it were long to reckon up all that we owe them in thought and speech in law and custom in arts and crafts for without books they made themselves learned without schools they became artists without examples they perfected laws and without bigotry they found freedom a wonderful people and greatly to be gloried in even yet by their inheritors still more by their own children in the day of their strength for a thousand years ago it might well be said wherever a northman's keel strake strand there he found his kin to hand be it west over sea from old norway in britain or ireland and the isles thereabout or in greenland or iceland or the baltic coasts and thence away to the atlantic from finmark and denmark to holland and valland everywhere the northman's tongue was heard and the northman's hand feared it was no wonder then if lads of the breed born in this corner of no man's land and nourished up among wild folk and woodland swine should long eagerly to see the ways of the world and the dwellings and doings of their kindred far and wide over and above the need to eke out the scanty gift of the earth by sea-going trade there was the same spell that had beckoned them up the crake as boys curiosity and the love of adventure hailing them now from over the sea and waving afar off who knows what glittering thing to which reach out they must whether they would or no homely wit has home-bred barn ay indeed if his overword is always elsewhere and his day always to-morrow so it was in the spring of the year nine hundred winters thirty and eight since our lord was born the lads departed and came into dublin bay and when they were landed officers of the king stayed them to know their errand and whence they came when they said they were chapmen they were brought to the palace for the king's folk had the right to be first buyers and to fix the price of wares at the gate who should spy them but olaf guthferson himself he asked the name of the bonny boys and they told him their names and their father's name and that they were from hogan way what said he are you the sons of that brave swain from those parts who fell at brunnenburg ah said he if we had found but a few more such men it's not in dublin i'd be sitting now but holding my court in london town and when he knew for certain that they were the sons of swain bjornson the kemp as he called him he brought them in to the queen and bade her treat them well for they were the sons of a better man than any of his so for a day or two they had famous entertainment and thought themselves made men but they soon saw ugly looks among the housecarls of olaf and one of their folk bade them beware of a shrewd turn for these danes said he there's no trusting and strangers praise is the surest doom so they came before the queen and told her how their business pressed for that they had far to go and then she bade them farewell but not willingly as it seemed and a fine gift she gave them and as they scudded out of dublin bay they thanked their luck and cursed all kings houses for downright wolf traps then for the wind was in the south they went up and cruised about the irish sea to the isle of man and the great bights of galloway there they met many of their own people 
who guested them in one place and another and gave them good speed but little trade they did for their wares were such as all men had in plenty they sailed from galloway up the firth of clyde and by the cumrea or isles of the welsh to all clyde which was also called dumbreton where was the chief city of king domnail and there thorstein was somewhat shy of being known lest a grudge might be owing him for his escape and for the death of cartney but nobody seemed in those parts to know or care for old stories of wild fell folk he asked news of the queen hoping to hear that his friend alloin was by now wedded to domnail and advanced to be lady of the land but folk laughed and wagged their heads and gave him to understand that there might be a dozen queens up and down for aught they knew and he asked no more for pity of the poor beauty away in the cumberland fells who had put her trust in the gay raking spark he said a deal to hundy out of the fullness of his heart what a shame it was that men should be light of love and how he would like to see the blood eagle carved on domnail's back to which hundy snail answered lazily that he talked like a great guff and thorstein was near coming to blows with him when they came out of the firth of clyde they rounded satyris muli the mull of cantire and sailed to the hebrides which they called ile and mill tyrwist and skid iwist and Lyodus. and everywhere they found northmen and friends settled and an open market so then they came to the mainland again in sutherland and looked in at the laxfjord and rounded cape Hwarf, and so to the orkneyer at this time turf Aina, the earl was dead and his sons arnkel and erland and thorfinn skullcleaver had the power thorfinn's wife was grelog the daughter of earl duncan at duncansby in caithness over the pentland firth and grelog's mother was groa the daughter of thorstein the red thus there was even some far-away kinship between her and the lads and when this was brought forward they were taken as the queen's guests and they got protection for themselves and their men and a good market for their wares and as the season was now far spent and the northern seas are stormy when the winter comes on they asked that they might sit there in orkney until the bad weather was over and offered themselves to thorfinn to serve him how they wrought for him at ship smithying and fought for him in raids on the scots and on rough neighbours and how they saw many a roof burnt and many a limb lopped and how they hunted and drank and quarrelled and escaped all this is not in the story but no doubt they saw life as it was lived both the good and the ill of it and hardened into sturdy lads fit for the give and take of the world they dwelt in when spring was come they took their leave of the orkney folk and sailed for iceland for they had a great mind to see what was to be seen and to visit all the homes of their kindred and never come back until they could give a good account of their voyage now grelog of orkney had a cousin out there the daughter of her mother's brother olaf phelan the cousin was named thora and she was wedded to thorstein codbiter the son of thorolf mostbeard who built the great temple at thorsness and was a powerful chief among the icelanders so grelog gave the lads a message to thorstein codbiter and a token to her cousin thora nothing doubting that it would get them a good welcome 
when they came to iceland they asked their way to holyfell the homestead near the temple it was easy to find for every one knew the name and fame of it and in a few days they came there sailing westward and northward round the coast and in bradafjord but they learned that thorstein codbiter was dead drowned in fishing a twelvemonth ago come harvest time thora was still there keeping house for her child thorgrim and her brother thord gellir was a great man in the countryside so the lads were in no lack of friends here as well as heretofore and made hay while the sun shone their goods were loaded on thora's beasts and brought up to her house thorstein swart who kept the temple and stood as goddy until thorgrim the child should grow old enough to take the priesthood of his father he fixed the prices according to custom and then our lads were free to go about and trade with their neighbours they sold their wares to such as wanted them and those that would not have them at the price fixed had them not at all there was much for a stranger to see in iceland at thor's nest there was the new temple and its high seats adorned with the old carved pillars that came from norway and that showed the way to thorolf mosebeard when he first came off that coast and threw them overboard to drift ashore and there was the inner house of the temple rounded like the choir of a church with the altar stall and the great ring lying upon it by which all oaths were sworn and the blood bowl and sprinkling rod for the sacrifices and the images of thor and the gods standing round about outside there was the doom ring with the stone of thor where men were sacrificed after they had done their business the lads went with a party of their friends from holyfell riding to the iceland althing and they saw the wonderful valley with the precipices around and the deep rifts that seam it and the throngs that come together year by year into the midst of that waste and terrible wilderness of frost and fire but when they were safe returned and had taken leave of thora they made ready for their voyage to norway for they had a mind to see the old home of their kin and to come before king hakon the good the fosterling of athelstan of england so in the summer when the days were long and seas were fair they sailed east and came safely to Throndheim. End of part 11